0: Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 1. We've come in this study to verse 22 and following. I would call this message the fourth commandment. We just studied three imperatives or commands in our previous study last time. Won't go through those three, but this is the fourth And this passage is built around this fourth commandment, which I have in bold letters and I have it underlined, fervently love one another. Four things here that surround that imperative, that command. Number one, your souls having purified in obedience to the truth Having purified is a verb form that moves straight through to the modifier here, obedience to the truth. Truth is a word, aletheos in the Greek, it means reality. When it applies to the action of a person, it means truth keeper. It means that he is aligned and his words are aligned and his actions, behavior are aligned with reality, that which is true. So number one, now remember, okay, let's put it again in its context. Peter is writing to a dispersed, displaced, persecuted, suffering, exiled band of Christians. We studied this at the outset, they have been put where they are in the region that we know is Turkey today because they are seed bearers of the gospel. That's what the language taught us in the early verses of this chapter. Therefore, even though they suffer and they are persecuted, God has them there for a reason And he put them there because they are the ones who can accomplish. God, you know, if God puts you somewhere in service, he prepares the area where you're going. He already has that prepared. And then he prepares and strengthens and resources you so that the particular connection is fruitful. This is is what is to be expected here as Peter writes to these exiled Christians. Continuing in this general context, in giving them hope, he's also teaching them who they are in Christ. And so that continues here in this particular section. And in the first part of this section, your souls having purified in obedience to the truth. Now that means to be made clean. Your soul, your sukkah, your sukkah, your The real you, who you are emotionally um, and, and who you are as an individual. This is not the flesh you, it is the soul you. That's been purified. So they could, you know, a Christian is to be entrusted with the gospel because now he's purified from the things of the world. Purified how? In obedience to reality, to the truth. God gives us the grace to be obedient to the gospel, to the truth. And number two, into sincere brotherly love. Now, let me go down here. Fervently love one another. Now, the love there, you'll see it. Agapesete. To fervently love one another. Let me talk about that before I go back up to number two here. This is a, this is an extreme word. It is a physiological word. It is an anatomical word. It is a word that references the muscles of your body so that you stretch your muscles to the extreme as far as they will go so that you will be in sincere brotherly love. That's a different word. Philadelphia. The brotherly love. It's the natural love. That we have because of our rebirth. Our born again. This is what enables us. Into this supernatural love. It's the Philadelphia love. It is the love. Of believers. It is the love of that stretches as far as it can go so that you can meet a need. I want to give you an illustration. This is me in an earlier, much earlier, pastorate out in the gym. Now, the only thing that keeps it from being a perfect split is the crotch of my britches. And my left knee is slightly bent. And otherwise, I could have blown the pants out and done it completely. Can you say crotch in the pulpit? I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> but thinking back at this church, let me tell you, I was straining with every muscle to love those people. Can you understand? As far as it could go. Now that's the word that's used here in, uh, in the text. The Greek word uh, up here in the obedience uh, so it's, uh, it's the word ectenos, it's in the middle of the, about the middle of the third line, ectanos. It, stretch it out. As far as you can go, you can't go any further. Jesus said in John 13, he gave a new, he said, I give you a new command. He said to his disciples, I give you a new command. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, love one another And in this way, the world will know that you are my disciples. That is a profound thought in the minds of Christians to reflect on our lives as Christians. The importance that Christ has placed upon brotherly love. Did you know our love as Christians, must first be extended to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is before anything is said about extending some kind of love to the world. Our first and foremost obligation with regard to love is brotherly love, Philadelphia love, to the brethren. That means that... uh, you are, you are sensitive to their needs, to the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ. What do they need? Is there a financial need? Is there an academic need? Is there a, a, a need for work? Is, is there a, a, a need for their marriage to be strengthened? Is there a need with regard to their children? Does an orphan have it? Does a widow have a need? All of these come into this brotherly love. And we are keenly aware of one another as a body of Christ, a local body of Christ. And therefore, at least some of us would become aware if another of us has a need, a real need. Our response to that is from the supernaturally implanted, natural brotherly love. Brothers and sisters, In Christ. Christ gave that command to his disciples, and of course, it goes from that out to the rest of the church in 1 John, because John says in 1 John, if if you, you know, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. Boy, that's a heavy statement. If there is some kind of animosity, some kind of hatred in your heart between someone who is supposed to be a brother or a sister in Christ. It's what the Bible says. You don't love God. And I'm thinking back over the years, even before I became a pastor, and I think back of the display, the public display, and, and even disdain that church members would display toward other, toward other church members. Just almost Hatred. Despite, despite despising others within the fellowship. That is as far away from real Christianity as it can be. Here, we're told you stretch it out as far as you can go until there is nothing left. You go to the limit that you can go to to fervently love one another because you have been purified in obedience to the truth. Your love goes into sincere, that is unhypocritical love, brotherly love, out of purity of heart. I do this because I am a Christian. I have obligations. I'm, I'm a born-again Christian. I have obligations priority obligations to my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Now, sometimes a brother or a sister in Christ may come across as very unlikable. It doesn't say if you like them, doesn't say that. You know, I, I, I've, I have to think about this. I've, I have pastored probably the total of my church memberships through the years would be probably 5,000 people, counting all the churches previous to this one and this one. There were some of them that had things that they liked that I didn't like. I liked things that they didn't like. But that did not, that that didn't nullify my obligation to have brotherly love. I think back of my family when I was growing up. One of my brothers used to pick on me all the time. Just make, he wanted to make me mad. Both of them picked on me up to a certain point in time. And they used to come in when I was a little bitty kid, and one of them would say to the other, Let's go over there and tickle Charles till he wets his pants. Half the time they succeeded. But I got older and bigger. And the last time that my, this particular brother really aggravated me, I took a stick that had been unscrewed from a big mop and went after him. I was as mad as a hornet. He didn't bother me anymore. He did a lot of things I didn't like. He liked things I didn't like. But you know what? He would do anything for me and I would do anything for him if the need was there. Because we had this basic foundational brotherly love. That intensifies into a supernatural setting in the church. Because Some of us are blood kin. Most of us are not. And we have the same obligation. This fourth command of these that are listed in this context. Fervently love one another. Christ gave it as a command in John 13. It is emphasized even more greatly in 1 John. By the apostle John. John. Sincere into sincere brotherly love. Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. In a setting that these Christians were in, they needed brotherly love one to another. Because of their setting in the Roman Empire in that day, some would be suffering more than others, but they all had an obligation to take care of one another because they loved one another in Christ. This would strengthen them and this would attract the world by the design of God. By God's design... The world, this is, whether they'll admit it or not, if a church, if a local body of believers really love one another, the church will know it. And God uses that by his design to attract the world to the culture of the church. They don't get that kind of love out there in the world. That kind of loyalty first to Christ, but then in obedience to the Christ, loyalty to one another. Loving loyalty. Out of purity, out of cleanness, out of purity of heart. Number one, your soul, fervently love one another because you've been purified and obeys the truth. It is into a sincere brotherly love. Number three, it is out of a purity of heart. There's nothing hypocritical about it. An honest, soul-felt, sincere love that is expressed openly, especially when a brother or a sister is in need. That's Philadelphia love. That's, what's, that's the word that's used here. But the big and number four reason is because having been born again. This has placed us into the family of God. Having been born again. Now that's in the, that's in what's called the perfect passive. It's participle in the perfect passive. In the perfect it means that it happened, but it has continuous results that will never stop. In the passive, it means that it's been done to you. You can't do it to yourself. An outside power, or in this case person, Acts upon you. Causes you. He says this earlier in 1 Peter 1. Causes you to be born again. You don't have anything to do with it. It is. It is is acted upon you. And it has continuing ongoing results. Having been born. Again. Now I had nothing to do with my physical birth. I was just born. It was an event. I didn't. I didn't participate in it. I didn't I didn't meet the event halfway. I didn't add anything to it at all. It was done and I didn't have anything to do with its doing other than I was the result of the birth. In theology there are two approaches to the rebirth Salvation, rebirth. One approach is monergism and the other approach is synergism. Anybody ever heard of that? Well, you're about to. <laughs> monergism means that the energy is from a singular source. Nothing, nothing can participate with it. It is all from a singular source, monergism. Sovereign God. God causes the rebirth. We can't have anything to do. Now, synergism is that there are several energies that go into it, not the least of which would be my own energy that I have to contribute to my salvation. Well, see, biblically, that's not true. That's a lie, synergism. Monergism is the biblical truth. Seen in the fact that here I could bring up others as well from the scriptures, but seen it's in the what passive active? Uh, I'm sorry, perfect active. Uh, perfect. I'll get it right a minute. Perfect passive. In the perfect, happened, continuing results that never stop. Passive, it happened to you and upon you from an external power. Exterior, external power, outside yourself. You didn't have anything to do with it. That's exactly what the word, that's exactly what the phrase participle means. So it's monergistic. God did this. It is a supernatural and divine thing. Now, this con- that same thought continues here. Having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Perishable seed is my first birth. I'm gonna die. If Jesus Christ doesn't come first, physically I will die. Because the seed that produced my physical birth is perishable. I was born into this world. My parents were sinful parents in the sense that they physically were of Adam. David writes about it in Psalm 51. In sin, my mother conceived me. That that physical fleshly sin comes into the nature of Adam. And even before we're born, we have the sinful nature of Adam. That's the perishable seed. But divinely... I am reborn, I am spiritually born, the rebirth, the regeneration, spiritually, I am reborn by imperishable seed, indestructible seed. My rebirth experience. And while my salvation is a thing that's written in eternity because of the fall of Adam, my redemption is a thing. That occurs in time. I remember the conviction that came upon me when I was a 10 year old boy. I can see myself seated on that front pew. My daddy was preaching, and I, I can't even tell you what he was preaching. I was waiting for the invitation because earlier that week I, had, I, I was overwhelmed with guilt. And conviction, and in front of the refrigerator in the kitchen, my daddy knelt down with me and I prayed to receive Christ. And I couldn't wait to take that two steps from where I was to where he was extending the invitation. It was a great burden on me. I remember how happy I was when I was baptized, it was a wonderful thing. The call of God, I I can tell you by testimony, is irresistible. You will know it because this is imperishable seed. This rebirth is something that occurs to you because you are God's child. This rebirth occurs in time. It is an event. But it's imperishable. It can never be destroyed. My rebirth experience, born into the family of God, the salvation that is mine can never, ever be destroyed. I can never die because I'm in Christ, because I have been born again. Now, how was I born again? Through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God has great power. It separates. It's designed to separate. It separates those who are in Christ from those who are not. It finally, it finally at the end of all things separates those who are heaven-bound from those who are hell-bound. It separates those from those who are in the love of God, from those who must suffer the justice of God. The justice, the guilt, the wrath, all of that is removed in Christ. But when those die who are not in Christ, they'll perish. And those two truths, the elevation of, of the saints to heaven and the sinners to hell and the descent of sinners to hell is by the living an abiding word of God so that the word of God never returns void. It always has this effect. It will drive the saint even closer to God and drive the sinner unless God intervenes by grace even further away and hardens the heart. The living and abiding word of God. So now think about this. The fourth command. Now, this puts an encumbrance on every one of us. We're going to have to swallow hard, think twice, take a deep breath sometimes, and walk away when we want to express some kind of spite or even hatefulness. Well, this is what I find. Nobody cares what you think. Nobody cares what I think. I just want to tell you what the Word of God says. Now, Obedience, purified in obedience to the truth, to the reality of Christianity and the word of God that drew us to it. The truth to which we were enlightened supernaturally and graciously that the world cannot understand and cannot receive unless God intervenes by grace. So if we've been purified like that in our obedience to the truth, It has brought us into sincere brotherly love because our hearts are pure and we're not hypocritical. And it all is because we know we have a command. As a matter of fact, there is an innate characteristic in the lives of born-again believers that we must love the brethren. We must love one another as Christ has loved us. And in this way, the world will know that we're the disciples of Christ. Having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, this rebirth, this family experience will never know an end through the living and abiding word of God because. Now he goes back to Isaiah here and he says, all flesh is like grass. This is the Greek except to the Greek translation of the Hebrew. All flesh is like grass. This is from Isaiah 40, uh, 6 through 8. And all its glory is like the flower of grass. That's flesh. The grass withers and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord abides literally it says into the age forever is a good english way of saying it the word of the lord abides forever into any age every age all ages ad infinitum even in eternity the ages will come and they will pass and give way to the next age it's in a very, to me it's a very exciting thought and here it is from the hebrew A voice says, now this is not, he didn't quote this, but in the context of Isaiah 40, a voice says, cry out. Now this is in the greater context of the voice crying in the wilderness. And it says, what shall I cry out? All flesh, this is what we cry out. All flesh is grass. And all of its kindness is like the blossom of the field. The grass shall dry out, the blossom shall wilt, for a wind from Yahweh has blown upon it. Behold, the people is grass. The grass shall dry out, the blossom shall wilt. But the word of our God shall stand Forever. This is the strength and the strength and hope that the Holy Spirit through Peter gives to these suffering, persecuted Christians. You may not have the world, but if you are my disciples, you have each other. And I have put you together supernaturally and divinely so that you can help and meet one another's needs to accomplish the task to which I've called you namely to sow the seed of the gospel. The flesh is like grass and that flower of the grass it dies the flower withers. I was born into the As Paul Owens' family, my parents are dead. My oldest brother is dead. My next oldest brother is dead. My older sister, she's still alive. I still live, but the day is coming. If time moves on, Lord doesn't come. All that family will be dead. All of us. Because we were born physically into a physical family by perishable seed. But that which has quickened me into regeneration, into rebirth, is the living, abiding, imperishable word of God of God. A guarantee from God Almighty his word will never wilt or wither away. It will never die. Never. Even, even into eternity. You see that's a hard straight that, that straight in the Hebrew and it's straight up here as well shall stand forever. There will never be a moment in existence where there is not the word of God. And this is what has quickened me into my rebirth and eternal life. This is, this is the great seed that these seed sowers, the dispersed the dispora, the seed scatterers in Turkey at this time, this is what they're equipped with. It's an eternal seed. Now it may fall on rocky places, it may fall among thorns, but we have this guarantee that at least some of it will fall into good soil and will take root. And so hopefully we sow bountifully so that we can reap bountifully. And God himself will draw through Christ those who are in Christ to Christ. All that the Father gives me, John 6, will come to me. And all who come to me, I will never ever cast him out. This is the will of the Father who sent me that all who come to me will live forever. Rebirth. It's only found in Christ. It's a beautiful promise. It's a wonderful promise of eternal life. The fourth command that we fervently to the extent of everything we are and who we are Love one another. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you're here today without Christ, the invitation is given to you. Come to Christ. Today we we'll extend an open invitation to you. I want you to just prayerfully stand right where you are. If God calls you to Christ, you come right now, would you? You come.